Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about project management. We're talking about what it looks like to put a team together, to get them all on the same page, to get them all moving in the same direction, to get a game done. And we're talking to Timo Motamaki, a Finnish game designer and publisher with Dragon Dawn Productions. Timo, really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, it's it's really um, very, very cool to be here. And uh, I, I hope I, I can shed some light in, in, in the topics that you you fancy. Yeah, and so you've got a pretty cool game. A game that actually, I think, came out, I saw a while back, I saw a Rado run-through of Perdition's Mouth from a while back, and then you've got the revised edition on Kickstarter right now, which is really cool, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But kind of give me your background. How did you get into games? What you know From Finland, tell me a little bit about the fin- Finnish gaming scene. Give me kind of who you are. Okay. Um, first of all, I think um, gaming has always been a very important part of my life since I learned to read, basically. So uh, right after that, I noticed that stories are the thing that I like, and I like to tell the stories to, to other people. So if I can't write uh, novels, then games are the way that I can express my inner need to, to, to tell stories. So I started making games about age of eight and having have done that pretty much since then in different mediums, um, including uh, role games and, and some live action role games and, and even some some really crappy computer games um, in, in my earlier years. But then I found that the medium that supports best uh my my uh storytelling needs and and also where where i seem to have some sort of skill level is tabletop games yeah. like board games that's that's like where where i can actually do the things that i like and uh, about being finn hmm. yeah well we live here in the in the very north part of the of the globe close to the russian border and no, it's not Soviet Finland, even though some people actually predicted that that would be the case. Uh, this is uh, a small and very sparsely populated country, and I live in the in the most sparsely populated area. Um, I think we have something like 20,000 square kilometers in my municipality, and we have l- about 9,000 people in here. So... You really need to have something to do because if the next neighbor is a kilometer from your home, you'll be bored to death yeah. if you don't do some gaming or reading or whatever. So you have to have some sort of a meaningful hobby that you can do all by yourself. Yeah, for sure. Now, what kind of games did you did you get into? Like, what kind of games showed up in Finland first where you were like, oh, these are really cool. I want to design games like this. Well, I think it started uh, with um, um, with role games like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Of course, I tried with with the usual board games like back then, which was Monopoly and something as crappy as that. 
but fairly soon I found um, the advanced squad leader and uh, the, the heavy tactical, strat- heavy strategy games and things like that also. And I think one of the early ones was also the, the first edition of Civilization and uh, soon became Twilight Struggle and like modern games like that. So those were the games that kind of like gave me a better understanding of what game design can be, that it doesn't always have to be Monopoly and all about luck, but you can actually make games that can tell you a nice story and can actually be based on skills, which I really like. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about Perdition's Mouth because I think it's important for the listeners to understand kind of the scope of this game because it's not a, you know, 15-minute filler game. It's a pretty big game. It's got a lot going on, a lot of components, a lot of artwork, a lot of things like that. And so let's talk about that a little bit because I, I think that'll help people understand why project management was so important for the success of this game. And now you're, you know, back on Kickstarter again and doing the revised edition. And so kind of give me the background on, on Perdition's Mouth and and how all of that kind of came together. Oh yeah. Um, So it's a cooperative game for one to six player, a dungeon crawler. And um, when we started the the game design, uh, there hadn't been any dungeon crawlers designed in Finland. Um, To be more, more exact, I think we didn't have any, miniature games designed in Finland either. So there was not that much where you could go and ask for advice. And um, it took something like almost five years of, of work to make it happen, to make it realize, um, because we decided that we don't want to follow the, the same methods and same gaming uh, mechanisms that everyone else was using. Because why, why would you design a copy of something that's, that's already existing? That's something that I don't quite grasp. So you really need to do something that, that has uh, new innovations. And what, what we wanted to do is to bring some of the Euro mechanisms into, into the dungeon crawling scene, which is not exactly Euro friendly. So <laughs> that meant quite a lot of um, thinking, trying, playtesting and uh, tinkering. And in the end, it turned out that it's a little bit over five kilos of components um, in the current state. And if the Kickstarter goes well, the, the revised edition could be like six kilos of components. Mm. And no, it's not like lead weights in there. It's, it's like, and it's not huge amounts of miniatures. Uh, but what we wanted to have is um, premium quality components on all the things that we do. So... Um, it, it meant that all of the parts of, um, of the game production were something where we were doing new things for us. So we had to learn it, how to make it. So uh, that's, that's how, it, how it actually like, started. Yeah, and it's cool because, like you're saying, with the Euro coming in, the Euro uh, influences, it's a dungeon crawl, but it's also got a rondelle. You know, it's, it's yes. these kind of mixing of, of genres, so to speak, and it's just a really interesting game. And so if you're listening to this, check it out. Check out the Kickstarter. It might be something uh, you're interested in. Okay, so let's, let's get into the project management piece. I think before the show we were talking, you said there's something like 20 people that have been working on this game and from all over the globe. And so like, give, me, give me some of the places that people are from that have been working on, on Perdition's Mouth. 
Well, um, first of all, yeah, it's uh, about 20 people in this particular project uh, of the first edition of, of the Perdition's Mouth, and then it's about 20 people that are working with the revised edition, about 20 people for the Traitor Guard, and many of the, those project teams actually overlap, but they are not the same. So it, it means that, and of course, then there are those teams that are not Perdition's Mouth related, but are still game-related, game other games. So... Um, all in all, I think it's about 40 people, maybe, um, in total, that are involved in the game designs that we are kind of coordinating. And uh, as far as I know, we have people in every other continent except Antarctica. <laughs> and we are trying to cover that, uh, that as well. Uh, one of our uh, long-standing guys has been applying there but let's see if he actually gets the position it's not an easy place to go right but that'd be kind of cool to say we're we're my team is on every continent on the planet and so the only thing next would be the moon and then if you get good with tesla go to mars and that would be like the yes. next yeah there you go yeah that's that's our aim so in 20 years if we can say that we have also game designers in mars that would be really great it would also i think be a nice sales pitch but I think uh, realistically it it could cause some technical difficulties on how to do the teamwork yeah. if some of us would be in Mars. Right, but I'm sure there's some technical difficulties already just being all over the globe, and we'll get to that. Uh, that's something I want to cover in just a minute. But let's let's first talk about how did you put this team together, or these different teams for these different games together? Where did you find people? How did you how did you get everybody uh, together? Well, it's not quick project or quick thing. To do or an easy thing to do either. I think it, it took time and effort, talking, discussion, going to the fairs, uh, meeting some people, knowing some people, uh, and then like just making connections all around. But I would say that it's something that after five years, there, there is, let's say, a decent size of a base team that is that is good enough that we can... We can um, we can start a new project and then try to find new people for the exact, exact things that are needed for any given time. And I think that what makes our approach a bit more different than, than what we have seen before in, in other companies or other projects even, is that we are really open to everyone who wants to join. So if you, for instance, would decide that, hey, really cool, I want to do, um, I want to do miniature sculpting for, for your next project, we will simply allocate you some tasks, and then, um, of course, you have to see how, how we work and kind of agree the basic terms. It's not really complex, but then, then you have the same rights to do anything and make decisions on on all of the matters as everyone else so it's it's not a team where just one gives orders it's not my team in that sense it's a team where everyone has uh, a role that they want to take for themselves so if someone wants to uh, be a sub team leader and everyone else says that that's a cool idea so be it yeah so there's a lot of collaboration with the people that are that are coming together yes Indeed, and on on many different levels. 
Cool, man. So what are some of the jobs? Like if somebody were to approach you and say, hey, I want to do something with the game, what are the, some of those tasks that people can work on? Well, game game development has a lot of different tasks, um, but it could be like writing stories, editing material, making graphics, doing um, like layouting of material, doing technical support or IT administration or social media or some peer stuff or helping with affairs. Um, I, I most likely have forgotten many different tasks that some, some of us is doing, but you know, this gives you just a, like a broad overview that it, it can be very different. Or webmastering, that's something that we have needed today a lot, because when you launch a new Kickstarter, a lot of new things need to happen in, in our website. Yeah, so where, where do you find these people, or where do these people find you? Like, how did the team come together, so to speak? Like, do you have any good websites to suggest, or any, any good ways to kind of get the word out there that you're needing people, or anything like that? Well, I think... Um, uh, it doesn't have an easy, simple, single answer that would always be correct. So you need to be active uh, in, in someone else's projects too. I have. Um, and of course, then you need to um, make your projects in an understandable enough fashion that, you, that the people understand that what is your exact need. Because if you say that, come and help with anything, that's not quite going to cut it. So you have to be able to put that into slices and pieces that are manageable and understandable. And I think that's where my personal long experience comes into picture, that that's where I have been doing. That's exactly the area where I have been working for the last 20 years on how to, how to put larger things, larger projects into manageable and understandable uh, subtasks that can be then explained and allocated and done by, by anyone who, who wants to do that. And uh, how, to find the, how to find the people? Hmm. I think being active is the key. You don't necessarily need, need to be best in anything. Uh, you just need to be active enough that people will notify, uh, notice that, okay, this is a person who actually gets things done. I think that's the key. Yeah, okay. And how do they find me? Um, well, most of them uh, have found me because they have played some of the games that I have done earlier on. So every game that our team does uh, is increasing the potential of the people for the next game. And this is exactly how it has actually gone. Like the very first game that I did was a small print run, small game, um, and rather small following in the end it actually did sell out but it took years and um, out of that i think i got like five or six people uh, who are still in the team one of the teams on and off and um, that's 10 years ago yeah 
All right, so let's talk about something you just, you just said just a moment ago as far as making the game smaller, chunking the, the game down into easier uh, bites, so to speak. Do you have any kind of a process or any kind of advice to somebody? That's something I've, I've told people in the past. And they say, hey, I want to make this game, but it's huge, and I don't know where to start. And I tell them, well, make the game as small as you can, like break it down into much smaller parts and just focus on those smaller pieces first. But do you have any advice for somebody who's really struggling to do that? Um, first of all, I have to say that it's not easy. It's, it's not something that happens overnight or automatically. You actually have to work uh, to make that happen. And we don't claim that we have the best possible methods for it or that we would be like doing anything magical. Uh, but what we have found out is that um, you shouldn't break it into pieces uh, all by yourself. So it should be a team process. Um, if I would do all the breaking it into parts, into parts, I would need to understand every concept, and that's kind of difficult. Uh, so I, I really need to have like team understanding, uh, or we need to have a team understanding of how uh, things are constructed, like what a rule book, for instance, is consisting of. And then when we know what the rule book is consisting of, someone will certainly say that, okay, I know how to break this into uh, chunks that can be actually done. So don't rely on yourself. Rely on your team uh, and, and listen what you, you, you have instructions from the others. Because I think uh, this sort of uh, belief of omnipotence is very dangerous. Yeah, so we're getting back into the collaboration and making sure people around yes. you are collaborating and giving you ideas and all that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's talk yeah. about communication because you got so many people working on so many different things. How in the world do you communicate and make sure everybody's on the same page at the same time? What kind of systems do you use, apps, anything like that? Well, um, first of all, um, I think it's, it's good to understand understand that it's never just a single method because some people prefer this and some other people prefer that and then you need to have someone who actually use both this and that so that you can glue them together. My role quite often has been that I use every single communication system but nowadays it's no longer that because I'm not in the Facebook and some people actually prefer Facebook for communication. But what we use at the moment is Slack that's, I think, our current favorite. We used some some um, um, like forums before, like web-based forums. Of course, we have used emails and email lists extensively. Uh, we use Google Docs quite extensively. Um, then WhatsApp is really handy. Skype for for discussions like this. So when when you need to see the other person or or speak. Uh, it's either Skype or WhatsApp or Google Hangout. But I think that in the end, uh, the most important thing is that everyone knows uh, what kind of tools your own sub-team is using. So if you do webmastering, you can have different tool sets than those who are doing design for instance whoever is doing uh, you know collaboration between between the teams has to use all the tools and that's not always easy but we have uh, also web-based uh, tools like trello for mm -hmm. project management but that has never really 
started to fly uh, on all the teams. Some of the teams just feel that it's too much like work. And we really try to make it so that there is enjoyment in what we do. And then it cannot resemble too much of a work. It has to have positive flow. And task, list, task lists are often seen as not positive flow. And I, I don't quite wonder. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit more about Slack. That's one that I've heard of, but I don't know much about it. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have never even heard of it. And so tell me more about Slack, what it's good for, how it works, all that kind of thing. Well, Slack is the modern replacement of, of emails. You can select different kind of uh, channels or lists. Um, in email world, those would be email lists. Of course, all of those are searchable. You can uh, you can drop um, any kind of attachments there, like Google links or photos or uh, PDFs or what whatnot, and they are stored in the Slack. So you have like a very nice collaboration tool with that. Like when you make um, a nice set of channels, let me check how many we have at the moment. We have uh, 19 different channels at the moment. And um, out of those 19 different channels, they are like basically one topic in that channel or one sub area. Like one is for the current Kickstarter, one is for the fairs that we are going next, one is for the other game project, one is for expansion, this and that. And then there is just a social channel for for communication uh, or, or chatting and so on. But um, what I really like in, in the Slack is that it, it works very well on all kinds of platforms. We have very heterogeneous uh, like hardware base. Some are Mac users, some are Android users, some are Windows users, some don't have a laptop, some have only tablet and so on. So then you have to have a platform that actually supports that. And we tried many. And this this is so far the best we have seen. Yeah. Now, in one of those channels, can everybody, if I, like, if I were to come into a channel, would I be able to see all the messages, or is it mm-hmm. okay? So it's kind of like yeah. email, but at the same time, it's like having everybody on the on the email that you sent out, right? Yeah, but you can have uh, all channels are based on whether you want to be there or not. You don't have to be in all channels. I happen to be in all channels, but I'm then the glue that actually binds things together. But uh, most of the people just select the channels that they actually want to listen or uh, or read. And they don't read everything because in there you can just put um, an at sign and your call name or nickname. And then you will be notified that, hey, Gabe, uh, I told something um, about this and that in that particular channel and you will be instantly notified and that's exceptionally handy then you don't need to read the 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 vast bulk of messages unless you really want you can concentrate on the things where you are specifically mentioned that blink 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 this is for you so that that also tells everyone else that gabe is notified that hey would you please take care of this? So that's that's handier than in an email where you really can't do that in, in an effective way. And with email, there is always the, the, the small uh, problem that if you have like a metric, uh, metric ton of emails, how do you find your things is not that easy. The, the search system of, of Slack is 
very handy. It works really well. Yeah. Now, would you recommend the recommend Slack for just a small group of people? If it was just a handful, just you know, three or four people working on a project, would you recommend it for that, or is it really more for bigger teams? We have used that in also in university uh, where we had like a very large groups of people. But if you have say less than ten, then probably you are good with WhatsApp group, which works pretty much the same as well. But uh, when you have more than 10, uh, maintaining WhatsApp is becoming complex. And it doesn't have even close to as good integration to other systems. Slack has like dozens and dozens of integrations of different calendar systems and and, uh, project management systems and file sharing systems and and so on. And they they are like easily available. So you don't need to do programming. You don't need to be very nerdy to be able to use it. Yeah. And now WhatsApp is a is a a texting platform basically uh, that I had never heard of until I moved out of the country. It's not really big in the United States. And so if you're wondering what that is and you live in the U.S., well, it's, it's not one that people use a lot of in the states. But outside the U.S., it is huge. It is what everyone here in Honduras uses. And I'm on like ten different groups for you know I'm coaching basketball, so I'm on a group with that, and I'm teaching, so I'm on a group with that. And so that's a, a way that a lot of people use to communicate, uh, and it works really, really well. But it's I don't think it's searchable, is it? Not that I know of. Um, it is searchable if you have a desktop client for it. Uh, okay, so not on my phone, but if I if I put it on my laptop, then I could search through all those messages. Yeah, and. What's funny is that it actually then uses your mobile phone for, for searching. So the desktop client is actually just an extension for your phone, which is <sighs> strange. <laughs> right. Could be different, could be better for sure. Yeah. And now is Slack, is it, I assume it's a paid service? It's free. Okay. It's, it's really quite, quite amazing that it's, it's a free service. We are at the borderline of when, when it actually becomes paid. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we, we are small enough that we can, we can use it for free. But if we keep on growing, eventually we will have to start paying for it. But even then, it's not like hugely expensive. Yeah, is it just based on the number of users? Um, or messages. Okay. How many messages do you send? And I think um, just to give you some sort of an outline uh, on on the volumes, I think it does some sort of uh, reminders uh, on on what kind of amounts are we are we sending every week. Uh, just one moment, I'll find it out for you. On on this particular week, we have seen four hundred and forty nine messages in uh, in in the channels and we have uploaded 38 files uh into the slack on on just one week so if you would read 449 emails that would be a lot (laughs) but now as those are threaded nicely and you can just skip a whole thread if you are not interested or you can skip a whole channel if you are not interested of that channel that is much easier. I think I'm the only one who actually reads all of the 449 messages or pretty close to the only one. Yeah, but that's what happens. You know, heavy's the head that, that wears the crown, the guy that's managing all the stuff. You, you got you to gotta carry that burden. And so let's talk about like team meetings. Do you ever have, you know, everybody 
get together, so to speak, maybe Google Hangouts or Skype or something like that, where you have just a bunch of people get together to kind of talk through things, right? Like what's the best way to collaborate? Cause Slack is great, but it's all message based, but do you ever do anything where you can kind of talk face to face? Sometimes, but it's it's always team based. Uh, we have never had like uh, a discussion for the whole team because the collaboration is not effective if you have say more than three people and you try to uh, work it out through Skype, for instance. There is too much of um, of this sort of uh, dead time that nothing really happens for you. You you need to only listen, and that's not effective. We we tried that. And I have actually been managing another company earlier on uh, where we had a similar kind of structure um, in a paid work, a full day paid work. And, and there we tried to do weekly meetings uh, in this, this way. It worked as long as we had five people. But when we had 10 people, then it started to cause some problems. Some people were not just concentrating uh, because it rambled on and it took uh, like two hours every week two hour was two hours were spent for for this sort of meeting and then we started to think that okay how much of benefit do you actually get out of that two hours and notice that it's far better if we simply have team related meetings where we talk about that the that team specific things and then if there are like common things that everyone needs to know, we, we just use the time that is required for, for the common discussion for that collaboration. Sounds maybe cold, but uh, we found out that it's, it's just too much um, time spent for, for discussion if it's, if it's discussion for everyone. And with Slack, everyone can participate and they can participate at that time when it's convenient for them. So it doesn't tie people as we are from very different time zones. It doesn't tie people like going to bed, for instance. It would be very inconvenient for, for you, me and someone from Australia to, to have a discussion because we are exactly in the opposite ends of the globe. Right. So then... Uh, that kind of discussion uh, online, real time, would be really difficult to arrange. And it would have to be very, very important for it to make worth of all the extra trouble. Yeah, but I think it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in only having a limited number of people in the meeting at one time. I was reading a while back about the uh, Amazon at, uh, at the Amazon, the CEO at Amazon, and how he said he never has a meeting that has more people than two pizzas could feed. So he's like, I'm ordering two pizzas, and if there's not enough food, then like, there's too many people in this room. And so he only no. wants just a few people in there because, again, like you said, meetings drag on. Everybody wants to talk. Everybody has to throw in their ideas and all these, these things, and sometimes it's just a waste of time. And so limiting the number of people, I think, can go a long way. And actually getting things done as opposed to just talking about things because those are very different. Just talking about it is not actually getting results. So I think there's a lot mm. of uh, wisdom in that. So let's, let's talk about coordinating a Kickstarter campaign. You, know, you, you got one mm -hmm. going on right now. There's so much that goes into that. How, like, how do you get everybody together? You get them on the same page and you do it in a certain amount of time. Because, you, you know, I assume you had a deadline. Like, we want to launch on this date. So we got to make sure everything gets done by this date. How did you, how did you make all that happen? 
well, of course, it takes a little bit of planning. And for us, it's easier than it was before because this is not our first Kickstarter. Uh, in the very first one, it was a huge mess because we just didn't know anything. But luckily, um, there are some really, really good uh, information packages on how to run a successful Kickstarter campaign. Don't buy any of those. All of those that are actually costing something that's phony. Not, not worth of the money or, or the time. But things like uh, what Jamie Stegmaier is writing, that's really, really good stuff. Yeah. And very helpful. And I'm, I'm so pleased that in, in the Kickstarter community, so many people have actually felt that they want to share their wisdom uh, and not just share it with, with, like a, with a fee, but they are sharing it for free. And that's, that's I think, uh, part of why, why I really like the crowdfunding community and, and the idea of crowdfunding, that you can actually do things and provide uh, your... your uh, bits and pieces of wisdom uh, to anyone else and then they they do the same for you and that's that's very productive but how do you how do we do it um if we go into the bolts and nuts um we actually have um, a draft of of the campaign um as as a google document typically and then we discuss uh, in the google document completely text-based uh that what should be there, everyone has the right to edit or comment or add or remove things. And after a few weeks, we typically have a structure uh, that everyone everyone is willing to agree that, okay, this makes sense. And then that also pretty much has like uh, steps on how to go towards readiness, like what kind of things do you need to have in order for, for us to have a fully realized Kickstarter project. The big things that typically take a lot of time and a lot of effort and are really complex to make is the Kickstarter video. So if you are like a first timer thinking that, okay, what should we do and how should we do it? I would have to say that reserve plenty of time for the video, reserve also some amount of money and, and find a, a, a person who has actually done successful Kickstarter videos. Don't choose just your random pal who has a video camera. That right. doesn't quite help. Um, in the coordination uh, of Kickstarter, I think the most important thing is that don't even in your wildest dreams think about doing it all by yourself. I have seen several who have decided that, okay, me and my best friend, we are going to do it. Not going to happen. Uh, you need, say, five people as, as your team, and then you collaborate with that team and share the tasks. So, for instance, when I'm sleeping, there is still someone else who is awake who can reply to, to questions of impatient packers. That's, that's really important. And... It's not told in, in, in the Kickstarter manual, so to say, that, okay, do it this way. But people expect quick service. They, they, they don't want to wait for hours, certainly not for days. So um, that's why you really need to have more than one people, more than two. And, and you have to trust the people implicitly that you, you have in your team. 
they they also all need to have the same kind of whole picture of the project as you do by yourself. So, as we cannot clone each other, then the best thing is to find people that you really trust and uh, that share your vision or you share their vision, whichever way you want to put it, and you form a common vision that you can actually produce. Yeah, no, that's, that's there's a lot of wisdom in there. And again, we're, we're back to collaboration and how vital and important <laughs> that is for making this kind of thing happen. One thing I love, I never, I never thought about it, having someone on the team that's in the opposite side of the globe in that time zone to answer questions and to help people while you're asleep, I, it makes me think I have a friend who worked for a consulting firm and they he worked for like Coke and all these big companies doing a lot of coding and creating systems and infrastructure for them on the back end of their uh, their systems. And that company was based in the United States and based in India. And so when mm-hmm. he would get off work, someone in India would be going, getting on their shift and he would basically pass along the project he was working on. And that next guy would pick it up where he left off. And so 24 yeah. hours a day, pretty much somebody was working on these systems and these things. And they were getting stuff done because the, the project never slept. And so there's a lot of value in that for sure. But let me ask you this. When, one issue you run into with collaboration is people disagree. And so someone will say, I think, I think red and the other person thinks blue or something like that. So how do you handle it when you have two people that are disagreeing and neither one really wants to give in? How do you handle those situations? Well, there are no uh, easy solutions for such, uh, but we don't have um, only one solution for such kind of problems. We typically discuss about that. And then one of us needs to, needs to give in and, it has always happened. Most often, it's um, it's it's something that whoever has a more reasonable explanation um, wins, so to say. But often, it's also that there is someone else from the team who actually gives a better uh, view than either of those, let's say, com- combatants <laughs> have have uh, have been able to provide. So. Um, it's it's an issue where we have to have to assume that there are more than one correct way of 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 seeing things. Yeah, because I think one one big big role you're going to play as a project manager is conflict resolution and figuring out okay how do we get the best out of these different people when you have multiple people working together. Ah, it's but, uh, but, go ahead. But I'm not I'm not a project manager. That's something that has to be said. Um, we don't have, um, we have very flat organization. Uh-huh. I, I'm um, a project handler, yes, uh, or gopher, or, or somehow I can be doing um, plenty of communication for the project, but I have only one vote as well. Uh, and it's the same kind of vote than our webmaster has, or the guy who writes rule books, or some el- someone else doing some other tasks. So, it's it's an important thing to remember uh, that we we have very specifically tried to 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 form a system where there isn't like a management level and some level below it because that resembles like ordinary boring work and that doesn't create enjoyment yeah now what are some of the pros and cons you've run into with that structure well 
this is really hard to explain for most people. <laughs> it's not common. Yeah. So that's that's one of the uh, like uh, really difficult things that, okay, how do you explain uh, that sort of a system? Uh, so many people have asked that, does it really work? And then we will just have to show the results. And then I guess that, that explains most of the things, but not always all the things. Um, on, on the pro side, I think that um, the the enjoyment level, the like um, level that people are willing to contribute, is far higher than if this would be uh, formed in any other way. And uh, I think that the results that we do are also really good, considering that we have very limited resources. So, let's say in in the effectiveness of of the of every minute or hour that we spend, I think that's rather uh, high. On on the negative sides, yeah, well, I would have to say that the hardest part is is to uh, to keep it functional. So you really need to have someone who works as as, as a glue to to <laughs> glue all the team parts together. And when when I had a sick leave. Some, sometimes back and someone else had to do exactly that part, they, they found that it's not easy. So they, they, they noticed that it takes a level of activeness that they were not expecting. Because before that it had been like hidden, uh, hidden task in, in the sense that I did it and everyone just noticed that it, it seems to work. Yeah. But then when they, they did the same stuff, they notice that okay, it actually takes a lot of work, so it, it's it's time-consuming. But I, I guess it's a it's a really small annoyance that it takes a lot of time. But I will get also a lot of positive feedback. So I think that that sort of positive feedback is the motivation then that keeps me going. So it, I think it it only requires that you have. Not a specific skill set, but a specific mindset, and then you have like the keys for success for this this kind of um, approach. But it's certainly not like an ultimate thing for everyone. It doesn't fit for every entrepreneur. It doesn't fit for every team. It doesn't fit for every organization. Many people have said that they would never be able to work in organization like this. And I, I, I can understand. Yeah. Now, any other challenges you've run into in trying to coordinate so many people and actually get things done? Well, I think it's, it's fair to say that uh, there are cultural differences. Mm. Um, Finns don't really do much of chit-chat, and I'm very bad at that. Mm -hmm. um, so my way of, uh, of stating something has been many times interpreted as uh, blunt mm -hmm. or, or outright outright rude and it has never been meant like that it's just like the most rational way of solving things is to use as little words as possible right no it's not the most rational way of doing that but that's what happens in finland um then again there are other cultural differences there are also some some really interesting language problems like when when you run um when you run into the situations that two non-native English speakers are communicating with each other, 
using English, um, it's it's kind of like using a broken phone quite often. Yeah. And sometimes it's just plain funny, but most often it's just confusing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's maybe a cultural thing as well, but I think it's it's something that you need to keep in mind that if you do this sort of a project, you should know that there, there is a very high likelihood that uh, that a simple message can be understood in very different ways in different parts of the globe by, by your team members. Yeah, I think that's a great point. When you're dealing with different cultures, it's so easy to accidentally offend somebody, right? Just because you didn't know, I know, so when they have new teachers come, I work for the school in Honduras, when new new teachers from the States come, they have to go through this orientation, and part of that is they do some training on how to talk to parents of the kids at the school. These, you know, they're Honduran, and so Latin America is different from the States, and one of the things they teach you is anytime you send an email, you have to spend the first couple sentences, like, basically with all this kind of fluffy language. So some of the effect of dear uh, Miss so-and-so, I hope God is blessing you. I hope your family is well. I hope everything is going smoothly in your business, you know, all these different things. And then you get to the actual point. And it's so frustrating to me because I just want to get to the point. I just want to say, hey, your kid's being a, a butt in class. Please tell them to stop. You know, whatever it is. But I have to preface everything with like all these drawn out things. And had I not known that, I would have easily offended some parents because I would have just gone straight to the point and they would have thought I was like attacking them when I was just simply seeking some, some help from them on the, the home side. And so knowing the cultural differences and how to approach people is a huge thing when actually wanting to uh, get things done. Now, Timo, do you have any like advice for somebody who's maybe thinking about, hey, this is a really cool idea. I, I, maybe I want to do a project like this and coordinate people from all over the planet. Any advice to them, you know, things you've learned, mistakes you've made and, and learned from? I think one of the best things that you can do that I have done several times um, is that when you have new people joining the team, explain the culture, Mm -hmm. explain that if you feel that you are getting uh, insulted by someone in the team, remind in the very uh, first part of introduction that, okay, in this team, we have people from different uh, cultures. They might speak uh, in, in, in voices or uh, nuances that are annoying or offensive, but it's certainly not intentional. If you think that it is intentional, do speak about it and uh, speak about it in a, uh, let's say, calm way and it will be resolved. It always has been resolved. So I, I think that um, being straightforward about about the possibility that there there can be a cultural difference that is so big that you might actually be finding someone offensive, for instance. Yeah, that's something that you have to outright tell. Most people don't really think that, okay, this could be the case. Yeah. Any other advice? Any other advice? Mm, Assume that your own cultural knowledge is always inadequate. That's pretty much a safe assumption. Yeah, but do you have any other advice just in general about this kind of a business, this style of of managing things? No, no, no. All of that is bogus. I, I don't believe that there is uh, like a common way of saying that, okay, in this business, this and that, in this business, this and that. Based on my uh, over 20 years of business experience, I I have never seen that there would be just one way, not 
even in one culture, uh, like in USA, in computer business, it's this and that. No. Every company is different. Every organization is different. Uh, and inside the organizations, there are even more differences. And that's that's the richness of the people and the richness of the world, that there are, there is so much difference. We should enjoy that there is a lot of difference, but we should also understand what the difference brings in terms of communication. Yeah. So in other words, just kind of figure out what works best for you. Learn from other people and then figure out what works best for you. And, and listen. When, when someone says something that, okay, uh, did you mean this or that? Listen and analyze that, okay, why did he say about that? If he doesn't explain it well enough, ask an explanation. Because um, that's, that's like the, the key for successful collaboration, that you kind of understand what, what your teammates are doing and what, what do they really mean when they say something. So, yeah. Awesome. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing ideas? Well, I, I hope that we, we are seeing more of these, these sort of, sort of a virtual team-based uh, organizations because the, the system certainly is capable of running virtual teams. We have internet all around. You are in Honduras. I'm in north part of Finland. And, and you know, we can still do collaboration easily. And that's, that's the great thing that the current modern world brings. So globalization is not all bad. Yeah, we live in exciting times where yeah. people, I mean, the world's getting so small, you know, where not that long ago, I mean, 10 years ago, you and I would have never known each other, ever. Not, yeah. It's not even possible. Yeah. And right now we're sitting here talking to each other on a, uh, just a normal little afternoon and having a good chat. And it's just kind of crazy the, the times we live in. Well, cool, man. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about Timo's advice for non-native English speakers who are wanting to set up a Kickstarter campaign. He's, he's done it a couple of times. He's got some really cool insight on that. He's also got a cool game out on Kickstarter right now. You want to tell people about Perdition's Mouth real quick? Well, yeah. Um, as I earlier on mentioned, it's one to six player dungeon crawler with a Euro, Euro kind of mechanics. Uh, it's a dark fantasy horror uh, type game and uh, all of our current players seem to say that it's it's uh, a really challenging game not because it has plenty of rules but because it has it's it's kind of punishing for the mistakes it's not really that much luck based uh, of course it has some level of luck but it has also like a requirement that you really have to cooperate with your fellow players so Unlike in most of the other games uh, in, in that genre, um, cooperation is actually built in mechanics in that game. So you really need to talk. It's the collaboration yeah. again. See? <laughs> Go back to collaborating. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Well, cool, man. And hey, if that sounds like a game you'd like to check out, it's on Kickstarter right now. Awesome, Timo. Again, really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with everything you got going on right now. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?